Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Little Ortho Podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are tuned into our board slash our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we hope that you all are subscribed because we are actually finally going to be coming out with the notes to all of our episodes, all of our review episodes, which is hours and hours of material over almost pretty much every subject in orthopedics uh, very soon. So hopefully you hit the subscribe button and you stay up to date with that. And without further ado, let's get into some more adult reconstruction. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You're tuned into our OITE review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And we're back talking some more joints, man. We're 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 finishing up on joints, uh, which is I think will be a high yield uh section. And uh, I think joints overall, you know, it's, it's gonna be a well-received uh review because we covered a lot of stuff, really. Yeah, I mean, with the amount of people that are going into uh arthroplasty and and really just the the field is probably I mean, what second to maybe sports medicine in terms of uh, like research output and yeah. uh, just kind of trying to pump as much knowledge into this as possible because there's, although like total hips are an excellent procedure, there's always a way to make them better. And then total knees are good. They're not perfect. And so we have to get that. I think it's what, like 80% of people are going to be happy with their total needs. So that leaves a, a 20% of that patient population that's still we can improve on. So I think it, yeah, it's just, it's high yield for the OITE and for boards. And then really for anybody starting into practice, except for maybe like pediatrics, hand and spine, you're yeah. probably going to have hips and knees as a part of your practice, definitely as a, like a general surgeon, but I mean, trauma, you have to understand uh, total joints and possibly doing uh, a total joint for a traumatic case. And then sports, you're going to have to be uh, in there with uh, either hip scopes or or knee scopes that are going to then turn into total hips and total knees. So I think it's just a, it's a high yield topic kind of all around. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And um, and that being said, let's go ahead and, and, and jump back into it. We have one out of place question here, and then the rest kind of go in order and make sense. But um, so I guess what are the benefits? Because we talked about kind of total hips and trunniosis, and I think we just finished up wear and everything not too long ago. And so, what are the some of the benefits and I guess some of the disadvantages that are seen with hip hemiarthroplasty? Yeah, so hip. Uh, hemiarthroplasty, I mean, obviously it's mostly done for 
traumatic reasons or uh, kind of patients that really can't tolerate a, a total hip because of um, either like laxity or or whatever else you want to increase that stability. So that's one of the major benefits is you're putting in a large femoral head into their native acetabulum so that uh, stability, that jump distance uh, and dislocatability are, are improved uh, in the uh, hemiarthroplasty. And it's, it's also a, a relatively quick procedure um, for, I mean, I guess some of the, the junior residents or the ones who are kind of starting out doing this on their own uh, with the kind of little or minimal attending uh, presence or help, it might be a, a little bit longer of a procedure, but once you get more proficient at this stuff, like a, a hemi should take around 30 minutes to complete. And so it's, it's a quick procedure. Um, but the disadvantages are really, you're putting in a metallic, uh, femoral head against the cartilage and bone of the patient. And so the, uh, difference in overall like stiffness and strength of the metal versus the cartilage and bone is a mismatch. And so you can get a lot of chondrolysis. You can eventually get protrusio because that metallic head is just going to continue pushing superomedially and their bone will kind of modify around it. And then uh, there is a, a bit of a poorer uh, or less optimal function after a hemiarthroplasty versus a total hip. And that's kind of the bigger push with um, uh, like the, do I do a total hip versus a hemi for a traumatic patient, depending on their age. So if somebody is in their sixties and they're active and they have a femoral neck fracture that um, is probably not ideally treated with an ORIF. Should I do a total hip in, in them instead of a hemi? And there's that big debate. And I don't exactly know where that debate has shifted in recent uh, literature, but I do think that uh, it's something to consider. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've covered where uh, in terms of the uh, differences of uh, kind of edge wear or polyethylene wear uh, and what happens with the, the uh, osteolysis and the particles and all of that stuff. And so um, as we kind of move forward with total hip like complications and revision, um, we have to really kind of first consider how we're going to work these patients up. If they have, have a total hip done by you or by somebody else, what are some of the like classic findings that you're going to see in a patient that's in your clinic that has a painful total hip. Yeah. So these are like those, like, you know, classic buzzwords or things that they'll talk about or complain about. And just to kind of correlate some of these things with what may be going on. So like when somebody patient that has a total hip that comes in, you know, before and they come in and they're saying they have like a lot of anterior thigh pain, you're thinking that may be something going on with the femur, like the femoral component, or, you know, it may be the size of the component or something, but it's more kind of an issue. It tends to be an issue with the femur versus if a patient comes in more complaining of groin pain or, or buttock pain, that's more of a, an issue with the acetabular side of things. Uh, somebody comes in complaining of lateral hip pain or a lot of different things that it could be, but just some of the things to have on your differential diagnosis is trochanteric bursitis, because even after a total hip, you can still get 
trigonteric bursitis, especially if you increase the offset. Uh, you could have abductor weakness or tendinitis. So remember our gluteus medius and some of our other abductors go and attach on the lateral side of the hip. Uh, you can also have trochanteric impingement. So these are all just some things that could cause some lateral hip pain. Uh, when when patients come in and they have kind of, you know, it's been a couple of years since they had their total hip and they're kind of just having this delayed onset of pain or they say that, you know, early on when they had their total hip, they needed to be on prolonged antibiotics for a little while or they had prolonged drainage from their wound until it finally healed. Again, these are things that they're telling you in the clinic. You know, your ears may be pointed up towards it may be some type of infectious thing going on. So those are some things that may lead you towards infection and total hip. Um, if anybody comes in and says, you know, they they are having hip dislocations or have had recurrent hip dislocation, recurrent hip dislocations, especially when they're just bending over doing like low impact activities. You have to think of instability and we can go down. We'll go down a little bit later and talk a little bit more about instability and uh, patients that have pain with active hip flexion. Um, these patients could have psoas tendon irritation or anterior impingement, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. But these are just some of the things that have on your differential um, diagnosis on the different aspects of where uh, of where their hip pain is and kind of the history. So there's a lot of things that can be coming in when somebody says they have hip pain. Um, now, we know that one of the one thing that can happen, especially over time, is loosening of of you know of your of your components and so what are some of the signs of loosening that you'd see on x-ray yeah this is like the the classic you're sitting on uh on the front row at arthroplasty conference and you hear the the 20 year veteran attending telling you to evaluate the the radiographs and they're almost always going to show a radiograph of some sort of loose component because they're not going to show a, a well fixed component because there's nothing exciting happening there so you're yep. going to look for signs of radiolucency, uh, especially around the, um, the component itself. So if you see the, uh, the bright white from the metallic component and then an area that is pretty dark, um, like a very, very dark gray, and then you see the bone uh, next to that, you can be concerned of loosening because in order for that space to be darker than the surrounding bone, that means that bone has not uh, grown onto the implant or into the implant. And for that to have a good bony bridge between uh, either the cortex, the metaphysis and the implant. And then um, absence of spot welding. And, and spot welding is, is actually a, uh, a good thing that you want to see, especially early on as the uh, bone grows onto the implants. Um, you're going to see areas where, um, you're going to see that bone kind of grow onto the implant, but it's not going to be a nice blanket of surface. There's, there's just going to be spots of it. That's, that is a good thing that you want to see on x-ray, um, component subsidence. So you may have, uh, like on the test or something, they'll show you the immediate post-op x-rays. And then they'll be like, all right, your patient is in clinic six months later. And the first thing you should be looking at when uh, they have a painful, like total hip or total knee is to look at where the components were on the first x-ray and where they are now. And component subsidence basically means that that component has um, projected 
distally in the bone from where it initially started. So on total hips, you're going to look at where that femoral component sits in relation to either the neck cut, the greater troke or the lesser troke. And if it has gone down, you'll see that difference. And then total hips, though, the femoral component usually doesn't subside. It's the tibial component that they'll show you. And you may see that the tibial component has maybe dropped a little bit more into varus, into valgus, um, have increased posterior slope on the lateral, and you just have to compare the initial post-op to the follow-up and see if they have subsided. And then um, the last thing is pedestal formation, uh, and that's mostly talked about in a uh, femur, where the pedestal is, you'll see a, a kind of a, a dense sclerotic portion of bone that's formed a pedestal distal to the implant, which that implant is kind of uh, like a windshield wiper in the femoral canal, and it's causing the bony reaction and your body's uh, forming that pedestal to help contain that femoral component. Those are kind of the signs of loosening on x-ray. And so then... This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access Rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. I think that uh, other other important things to look at when you're evaluating uh, painful total hips. So I talked a little bit more about the femoral side. What are some of the things you can see on the like acetabular side? Yeah, so you can, you know, when you're looking at the x-rays, you can try to uh, evaluate the component in the position. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but you can see, you know, where is the component? Is it more vertical? Is it more horizontal? You know, typically maybe a more vertical cup may lead you towards instability or a more horizontal cup you may be thinking of impingement. Um, we can also look at the cross table lateral and uh, look at the cup and, and and notice the amount of version that it has. And uh, so that is important. You can see whether the cups are really retroverted or really antiverted. You can also also see the overhang of the cup. So if the cup is uh, a little large and you see a lot of overhang over the bone, like anteriorly, that may clue you in towards there may be some impingement going on as well. Um, also, you can look to see if there's any uneven polywear. So if you look at the cup, it'll be one type of uh, density and you look at the ball, it'll be another type of density. And if there's poly in between, uh, you you can look at the sides and see if it is uneven on one side versus the next. You know, theoretically, the poly, most polys, uh, just a standard poly is even, you have the even amount of thickness on each side um, surrounding the femoral head. So when you have decreased thickness, on uh, on one of the sides, you may be thinking there may be some type of eccentric uh, polywear or uneven polywear. Um, so those are just some things that you can know for. And then I'll, obviously some of the things you you had already said about like radial lucencies, um, especially behind the cup or you know retroacetabular uh, lucencies that may clue you in towards you know some polywear as well. Um, now what 
you know, like what what total hip arthroplasty complication can see can be seen in patients who undergo, you know, irradiation of some sort. Yeah, this is like kind of right up my alley. But basically, whenever you're planning to um, irradiate the bone, you're likely going to either slow or inhibit those uh, osteoblasts and other factors from uh, preferentially growing onto or into the separate uh, porous coated surfaces. So um, if you know, like if I'm, if I'm doing some sort of sarcoma uh, of the hip and I decide that a total hip is uh, going to best benefit that patient, I'm going to cement both the acetabular and femoral side, just because I don't, I don't want that irradiation to prevent that bony uh, on growth. And so with cementless fixation, you're going to get uh, loose or with, yeah, with press fit cementless fixation, you're going to get loosening or you have a higher risk of loosening if you're planning to irradiate the patient. And I think that um, these things that we were talking about with the x-ray, uh, just to kind of backtrack, uh, I think that all of those like if you guys are either confused about them or you want to see what uh, loosening or something like that looks like, I mean, Google those pictures because on, especially on the boards and on OITE, uh, they're most likely, they're not going to test you on a, like a well-fixed component. Like they, they want you to see subsidence. They want you to see uh, increased radiolucencies. They want you to, to recognize those things. So be on the lookout for those things whenever you have an arthroplasty question and they give you x-rays. So um, I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, but they do want to make sure you understand what polywear is, what radiolucencies are, and what subsidence means. So um, uh, after the, uh, yeah, so with the irradiation, we talked about loosening and then uh, what are some of the other potential complications that you can get with a total hip? Yeah, I mean, and there, there's a very, very long list of complications, but uh, we'll just touch base on a couple of them here. Uh, you know, you can have polyethylene wear, and we'll, we'll talk about each of these a little bit more in depth. Uh, you can have dislocations that we talked about, heterotopic ossification or increased bone formation. Um, patients can have a leg length discrepancy, which is, which is pretty common, you know, just to slightly lengthen the hip. Uh, but again, we'll talk about that a little bit more. You can get impingement, you can get aseptic loosening, uh, infection, trunnionosis. So there are a lot of different things that can happen uh, with total hip arthroplasty. So it's just good to know, especially when you're talking to patients, you know, and they're asking what are some of the things that could happen? Like, hey, these are, there there are there are complications. No procedure is, is without risk. Um, and so I, I, we're, going, we're going hard on the x-ray science here. <laughs> What are some of the, uh, and I think what you just said is really important to be able to um, be able to identify and uh, evaluate the x-rays is, is very important because you may, like the question step may not give you a lot, but then you look at the x-ray and like, okay, this is what they're trying to say. So again, what are some um, signs of, uh, of polywear that you can see on an x-ray? Yeah. So the polywear, um, I guess this, uh, we're, we're going to talk specifically about total hips, but it definitely applies to total knees as well. But right. basically, um, when you look at an x-ray, the femoral head should be centered within the acetabular cup. Um, they should, it really should just be a smaller sphere 
of the acetabular component. And so if you are, if you bisect the femoral head and the uh, acetabulum, they should be right in the middle of each other. Um, however, if you start to see superior migration and kind of less space superior to the femoral head and more space inferior to the femoral head, then that's, uh, that's called eccentric position of the femoral head. And you're going to, uh, kind of lean more towards polyethylene wear because all polys are, they're, they're a hemispherical structure. They're not going to be, uh, put in with extra space inferiorly or extra space superiorly they just don't make them that way and then also like you were talking about the retroacetabular osteolysis because as you get that polyethylene wear you're going to break off some of those particles you're going to get a macrophage uh, style uh, reaction and osteolysis uh, behind the cup um, so what is really the treatment for a total hip with that poly wear yeah, so I think one of the things that, that you need to look at is see, you know, one is the metal shell fix, like if it if it's fixed and it has a good position. So again, this comes to evaluating the x-rays, you know, you, you know, that abduction angle and the anniversary, you want to take a look at those things. So if the metal shell is fixed and it has a good position, uh, you may just be able to do a head and liner exchange where you go, you know, you do a revision arthroplasty. And you're taking out the femoral head and you're taking out the polyethylene liner uh, and, you, and you are putting a new one in there, basically. Um, now, if you look on the x-rays and you see that there's a large lytic lesion um, and there's you know some hip instability maybe present, that's going to lead you down the line of total hip revision. Uh, and you may be doing bone grafting. So you may be actually removing the acetabular shell as well as the polyethylene and uh, doing a revision, you may need a bone graft if there's a large, a large lesion as well. And one of the things with uh, hip revision for polyethylene wear is that post-op instability uh, can be one of those complications or they have a little bit of higher incidence of post-op instability. So that's one thing to note, especially if you're doing a revision for polyethylene wear. Thank you all for listening to that episode. We hope that you all are learning things from our review series. Again, some more adult reconstruction. And we're almost done. We just have a couple more episodes. And then we're on to the next subject. I wonder what's going to be next. Who knows? You will only find out if you are subscribed to the podcast. Until next time.